0: This podcast may contain themes that are unsuitable for some listeners. Please check the episode description for content warnings. A Court of Thorns and Roses, Chapter 14. Western woods, grove of young birch trees, slaughtered chicken, double loop snare, close to running water. I repeated Lucien's instructions as I walked out of the manor, through the cultivated gardens, across the wild, rolling, grassy hills beyond them, over clear streams and into the spring woods beyond. I'm Katie. And I'm Ruth. And welcome to a court of thoughts and proses.
1: I was thinking about times in our life or age periods when we tend to be quite open and I think that children are very open just because they don't understand sort of societal norms and structures and all that kind of stuff and I used to work in childcare, so I was in a I was looked after by an after-school child carer for most of my life because both my parents worked. And I ended up working for that child carer for that after-school club when I was 18. And so this story takes place probably two weeks into this after-school club thing when I was getting the hang of the ropes. I was just kind of starting to know the kids and understand everybody's personalities. There was this sweet little boy, um, I'm going to call him Drew just for the sake of the story. And I was picking this boy up Drew from after school club because he was a bit late and I was walking him home. I was holding his hand. I think he was probably in like year four. So for our American listeners, he was about eight slash nine years old. And while he was walking home, we were just having a nice odd chat and he goes, Ruth, can I tell you a secret? And I made a very, very bad mistake. I said yes, of course, which you are not supposed to say. And he was like, Sometimes I take money from my mum's wallet and I use it to buy Legos. Amazing Legos, <laughs> Legos specifically was what he used in his mom's money. To... So um this kid was obviously very open with me, perhaps too open. And when I got back to the after-school club, I pulled my bus boss aside and I said, um, just to let you know, this kid's just told me, and she told me off because she was like, "You can never promise that you'll keep something a secret," because obviously yeah. I've now ruined that child's trust. You're supposed to say, "Well, I can't promise I'll keep it a secret, but you can tell me anyway." So that I'm guessing that kid got in trouble. I never found out, you know. I just feel bad for telling on him for his little ingenious plan of stealing from his mum. So as we go through this chapter, I've really wanted to see what kind of secrets are in this chapter, like stealing your mum's Legos, trapping a giant monster. It's kind of the same thing. So let's get into it, I guess.
0: Yeah. So from a from a safeguarding point of view, is the problem that <laughs> if the child had been like, I want to tell you a secret, and then it had been like I don't know, someone was hurting them at home or something, that you can't promise to keep that a secret because, like, they're in danger, so you would need to, like, tell tell your boss or whatever. Is that, like,
1: is that the reasoning behind it? Yeah, pretty much. Right.
0: What a ge- genius scheme, though.
1: I just felt like such a tattletale. I shouldn't have said anything. That kid is very clever.
0: <laughs> Presumably the mum knew. I mean, like, you notice that ten pounds is disappearing from your purse every week, and then this child mysteriously has more toys than they did the last time you looked. Like, I bet she knew.
1: I guess it depends how much he's stealing. To be fair, because if she's only if he's clever about it, and she's got say like twenty five quid in a purse, and she he's just taking a fiver every yeah, week. Yeah, I don't know how much. Other I don't know how much
0: Legos are
1: as well. Yeah, is he buying like a whole Lego set? Because I think if your child turned up with a like replica of what, or just big... like like the Death Star.
0: Yeah, if you turned yeah. up with a death star, you'd be like mm. You're just like buying like one minifigure a week. Yeah, I think you've um think you found a a good uh, little criminal mastermind there.
1: So it's Katie's turn to do the second recap first. So are you ready? Yes. In three, two,
0: one, go. So Feyre sets a trap for the Surreal and um she lays it in the forest, and she manages to catch the Surial. And um, the surreal tells her some of the secrets, but not a lot. Um, and it's quite a creepy creature. It's like made of sort of bone and stuff. It looks quite freaky. Um, and they get interrupted by uh, monsters who want to kill Pharaoh uh, and want to kill the surreal at the end of the chapter. Okay, your turn. I am ready. Three, two, one,
1: go. So Favre basically realises that Lucien was basically trying to kill her because this surreal is absolutely terrifying, kind of like the Dementors from uh, Harry Potter, that's how I imagine them. She hides up in a tree, waits for the surreal to come along, then traps it and it's hanging upside down, really annoyed. And then it basically just spouts a load of history and she finds out that Tamlin's actually the High Lord, a cheeky little secret that she didn't otherwise know. He talks to her about all the different courts, doesn't tell her anything useful, and then he starts to panic and he's like, I'm going to get eaten, please release me. Is he hanging upside down in the sky? That's how I imagine it, that he gets caught by his ankles and gets whipped up into the air. I but I don't think, think he is. I think, that's,
0: is. I think that's like a Robin Hood movie reference <laughs> in your brain. <laughs> oh, also, what gender are we going to use for the surreal? Because, yeah, what pronouns? Because they don't actually give any in this chapter. Oh, there probably isn't. I think I should have used they-them pronouns. That's okay. We can use they-them. At least this time we don't have to fight about how you pronounce it because Suriel... It's not such a tricky word to decide it's not surreal. <laughs> surreal, not
1: surreal. all
0: right where do you want to start with openness
1: oh i have a question actually before we start mm-hmm. the so at the start of this chapter we see Feyre she's kind of exploring the woods and she's walking around trying to find a grove of young birch trees to put her little slaughtered chicken into yeah she walks past a large pond and in it she sees four shining female heads yeah are those the monster i don't know what they're called mm. the fairy things that she helps later on in the book yeah. or whatever it is i
0: had that as well i think they are yeah because i can't remember what i can't remember what the species of fairy is but yeah it's it's a, like a water fairy and her sisters and they live in a pond a lake on on Tanlins estate so yeah i think it's the same i think it's the same fairy
1: so if I remember rightly, later on in the books, Pharaoh gives some of her marriage jewellery to pay for their taxes to Tamlin, doesn't she? Yeah. So I was thinking, and this might be a questionable link, that Farah is very open and doesn't have the prejudices against a lot of the other fairy monsters that Tamlin and everybody grew up with. Mm. So I think that Farah as a character is generally very open, and you also see that with Harry in Harry Potter with the way he treats goblins and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Is that it teaches you not to be prejudiced and to be open to anybody? Because, like in Harry Potter with werewolves, he doesn't have that kind of prejudice that all the non magical people, the magical people, have had growing up. Mm. So, I like to think that while Farah is clearly knows that, like the surreal, she's like, mm, that's gonna kill me, she's more open to magic. And things that Tamlin and Lucian would perceive as evil that necessarily might not be.
0: Yeah, I wonder if... So Feyre thinks all fairies are bad and then she starts to see that she's wrong. Like, Tamlin and Lucian aren't bad and the surreal doesn't hurt her and like, she catches it again in the second book. I can't remember. Yeah, and it, again, it doesn't hurt her even though it, it could have. And so I wonder if because she finds herself being wrong in her prejudices, wrong in her assumptions, so often she's then more willing to re-examine them. Whereas Tamlin, Tamlin and Lucian have, you know, lived for hundreds of years, so their biases just kind of keep like reinforcing themselves. I'm not sure if Tamlin and Lucian are hate the the water the water fairies because they think they're evil. They don't like them because they don't like because they don't pay their as you say, their like Tamlin taxes on time. And part of the reason why Feyre like, sympathizes with them or empathizes with them is because she knows what it's like to be hungry and that experience, you know, really opens up her heart in a way that it doesn't to Tamlin because he's never been hungry before and he's so he doesn't yeah, he just doesn't think to look at it from that way.
1: You've raised a really good point because that makes me think about the fact that Feyre isn't actually very open yet. She's still prejudiced towards fairies. She obviously has that growing to-do in a way that Tamlin feels the same way about humans and they kind of match each other. Mm. So in terms of openness, really, she's actually not very open yet, but she does grow quite a lot as a person. Where else do you see openness in this chapter?
0: I see openness with... Or, sort of, honesty with the surreal and with Feyre. So, the, the whole point of the surreal is that if you catch it, it will answer any questions that you ask it honestly. So, Feyre wants to ask it, you know, is there any way for me to leave the, the court, the spring court, and is, you know, where does the blight come from? Can I, f- you know, how do we fix the blight? That kind of stuff. <laughs> the surreal is honest, but also not desperately helpful in this moment to Feyre like as you said it just gives her this history lesson where she's like yeah get i great i don't care about like the names of the courts and it starts describing highburn and it just seems like a stupid history lesson to her but it is actually answering the question that she's asked she asks where does the blight come from and it explains the history of highburn and the blight is amarantha and Amarantha is Hyburn's one of their one of their commanders, one of their generals. And Hyburn, confusingly, is the the country and also the name of the king. But yeah, so like the Surreal is being honest and is being open, but too confusing and like too vague for Feyre to actually be able to understand what it's saying in this moment.
1: Yeah, you raise a really good point. Is openness and honesty the same thing? What do you think? I think honesty,
0: openness implies that you're honest all the time, like constantly sort of like when I meet new people and I go, hi, I'm Katie. Nice to meet you. I have chronic fatigue like that is open and it's honest. But you can be honest and just but honest only when people ask you a specific question. You know, do you like my haircut? Do you think I should quit my job? Like you can be honest only when someone asks for it. Whereas I think openness implies that you're
1: always being honest. It's interesting because I don't think that the surreal, while it is honest, I'm not sure how open it is because I got very frustrated in this chapter (laughs) because all it tells her, stay with the high Lord. He'll protect you. I can't tell you what's going on while I kind of can. Yeah. Really frustrating.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And it, it wants her to be very specific in her questions. And yeah that's not openness openness it would say yeah so there's this there's this horrible person called Amarantha and she's cursed the high, the high lord you need to fall in love with with Tamlin like that would be honest that would be open whereas instead it's like you need to ask me a specific question and then I will give you a very detailed long history lesson but I wonder if they hadn't been interrupted whether it would have eventually got to the Suriel doesn't actually get to Amarantha's name but it nearly does they call Amarantha the deceiver and so I wonder if they just had a little bit more time whether whether
1: they would have managed to get that information out of the serial. so that's actually something that I wanted to talk about because obviously Amarantha is the deceiver which is probably the opposite of openness yes. but clearly during this chapter or during the previous 14 chapters we have seen the fact that you can't be open about Amarantha, you can't talk about her because she'll basically come down on you and whoop your ass, right? Yeah. So is the Suriel also doing that because he doesn't want to get in trouble with Amarantha? Is he scared of her too? I don't think. Oh,
0: I think he probably is scared of her because she's quite frightening. But I think the Surreal's not under the same restrictions of the curse as Tamlin and Lucian are. I think the Suriel is allowed to say her name and is allowed to say what the curse is, but it, but they just don't get to it. Would be my would be my guess you mentioned the fact that you really dislike that the Surreal's like stay with the high lord don't look for don't look for more answers be don't just be stupid human like don't go don't go looking so how does that tie in with openness because that's telling Feyre yeah to not to not ask questions to not find out more information just to stay with the knowledge that she already has and not go looking for more
1: it infuriated me, it felt very sexist. <laughs> and Feyre also notes during this conversation that she's referred to as his human woman. Yes. Which annoys her. And it annoys me too. Yeah.
0: Because she, she's not his possession.
1: Which is how Tamlin does treat her in the end. So the sorel's not helping this narrative. He's in the same boat. The thing that I wondered with the stay with the High
0: Lord, live to see everything righted. Mass tries to make that about Reese in the third book. And I don't really buy it. Like, she tries to make it out like it's a prophecy and the surreal knew all along that she would be with Reese and da 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 da. But if if Feyre had stayed with Tamlin, stayed with the High Lord, don't interfere, don't go looking for answers, stay close to him, or we'll be righted. If she'd done that, she never would have met Reese. Or, you know, she would have carried on falling in love with Tamlin and she probably would have married Tamlin once they'd broken the curse together. So I thought that the Surreal had some sort of gift of prophecy, but I don't think it does.
1: I'm going to argue that it does, to mm. be annoying, because that is my skill in life, apparently. <laughs> and I think that the Surreal can see, obviously, all the futures and whatever's going on. Mm. And that is why it doesn't give very good advice, because it can kind of see all the different options.
0: So it doesn't know which part of the information is going to be useful to Feyre because it has too much knowledge in its head.
1: And that's why the Sorial is being very open because they know so much and they know that the information could alter Feyre's future in any way. Sure. So they're being very selective with what they tell Feyre.
0: I think you're right. I think if they'd gotten to and there's a curse and you need to fall in love with Tamlin, Feyre would have been like, no, screw you, I'm not going to do that. Bye. So the other bit of information that the Sorial says Feyre asks, is there truly no way for me to go home? Not unless you seek to be killed and your family with you. You must remain here. So why does, why did they say that? Because if Feyre went home, Amarantha would find her and kill her? Yes. It's a bit tenuous. Well, she goes and kills Claire because she thinks she's Feyre. That's true. Yeah. And Feyre assumes it's because of the treaty. And again, with openness, like, the serial doesn't clear that up for her they know that that Feyre thinks that it's the treaty and they're not like oh by the way there is no treaty that's all like there is no bond tying you here like you can go if you want to but amarantha will kill you it's selective truths it's selective honesty
1: for reference for those that can't remember Feyre meets amarantha and doesn't realize who she is and amarantha asks for her name and she gives the name of claire bedder who's a girl in her village and Amarantha goes and basically ties her up and flays her, or something really disgusting, and that could have been Feyre.
0: Yeah, she gives uh, she gives her name to to Reese, doesn't she? And then Reese passes it to Amarantha, and then Amarantha kidnaps kidnaps the lady, kidnaps Claire.
1: I forgot it was Reese. Mm. That's funny. That is. Mm. So the other place I saw
0: openness was in the environment, the actual like physical place that Fa in. So she's in she's in the woods, she's in fields, she's in you know, beautiful grassy hills, that kind of stuff, but there was a lot of juxtaposition between clearings and open plains and open fields versus woodlands and canopies and, like, branches overhead. There was a lot of, like, openness and, like, open and closed environments around her mirroring that sort of truth and lies partial honesty that she's then getting from the surreal as well. Like, it's not it's not revealing all its secrets to her immediately. There's still there's still things that she doesn't know, even though it's woodland, which she has been in for years and she should know everything about it. It still feels mysterious and sort of closed off to her.
1: Well, I actually wanted to talk about the environment in terms of the fact it's the first time she has been free of the manor, yes. which has been her kind of prison. Yeah. So she's going from one danger to another, arguably... Maybe you've gone from extreme closure to extreme openness because she could run off anywhere that she wanted to. But it's the first time she's kind of experienced that freedom since being kidnapped by Tamlin. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Feyre's kind of flourishing a little bit because she's an independent woman who doesn't want to be trapped in a house because she's always been outside and she's always been in the forest and hunting is what she does. Mm. So it's quite nice to see Feyre using her natural skills to, you know, bag a soil. I
0: think you're right though I think it's it's too much a world of extremes like she's either in the manor house and she's completely trapped and not allowed not allowed out because it's oh, all dangerous or she has to bust her way out secretly by herself and you know go off hunting and put herself in danger like surely there's a middle ground where she can be safe but also have also have that freedom and have that like open open situation but she probably wouldn't want Tanlin or, you know, one of the other Fae to be her, like, bodyguard because that would not not make her feel safe, weirdly. Like, if she Mm. had a Fae hanging about behind her,
1: like, she couldn't be herself and chill in the woods. I actually wanted to draw a comparison to somebody that you might not expect. Mm -hmm. So she reminds me in this chapter quite a lot of Katniss Everdeen. Mm. Because... She sits in the tree waiting for the Suriel to trap it. It reminds me of when Katniss basically spends her entire time in the first book of The Hunger Games hiding in a tree, and that's how she escapes. She obviously uses uh, bows and arrows and she's trapped, and she's having to kill people to survive. But in the way that Katniss is trapped in The Hunger Games, Feyre has the opposite experience, almost. Mm. So, Katniss in her whole character arc she is free outside trapped by the government ends up being pulled into this big arena whereas Feyre is kind of trapped by the government the fairies whatever ends up pulled into this situation gets trapped in a manor house kind of escaped and I felt like it was quite similar in terms of openness and secrets between the two girls yeah women a lot of parallels there
0: Do you have any other points for openness?
1: My last point is one point that I remember you mentioned in our last episode, Katie, is that the Sorial tells our dearest Feyre that Tamlin is in fact a high lord. Mm. And I think that the Sorial creates openness between the two characters, Tamlin and Feyre. Mm. Because he's uncovering secrets, letting Feyre know more information so she can at least feel more comfortable with who Tamlin actually is and they can fall in love and have an open equal relationship. Yeah. What do you think about the Sorrell's choice to actually tell Pharaoh this juicy little bit of information?
0: I think they could have done more. <laughs> I think they could have I think they
1: could have provided more information for her, but to be fair, like
0: the time is limited and the Sorrell assumes that pharaoh knows. They they go, "Ah, interesting. You didn't know that that, that was the High Lord." So, they have a lot of knowledge, but they're not like all-knowing. And because mm. the Surreal's a fairy, they probably don't know what's important to Feyre. They don't know what like juicy details are gonna be the most important to her. But yeah, so I, I think they could have given her more information, but at least they at least they start the ball rolling and, as you say, start to build that that bond with between between Feyre and Tamlin. Shall we
1: move on to our sacred practice? So this week's practice is Sacred Imagination, in which we ask you as the listener, to put yourself into the perspective of the characters or several people and we'll read you a chapter excerpt and we ask you to close your eyes and imagine along with us the situation that's happening and sort of uncover what emotions, feelings, anything that's going on during this chapter, what smells, what touch your experience and how that makes you feel and how that makes you see the characters from a different perspective. So for this week, I'm going to read part of the chapter where pharaoh actually traps and meets the Sorial. Please close your eyes as I tell you this beautiful, beautiful story. Spindly, scabby grey arms clawed at the snare with yellow, cracked fingernails. Run! Some primal, intrinsical human part of me whispered, begged, run and run and never look back. But I kept my arrow knocked loosely. I said quietly, are you one of the Sorial?" The fairy went rigid and sniffed once, twice, then slowly it turned to me. The dark veil draped over its bald head, blowing in a phantom breeze. A face that looked like it had been crafted from the dried, weather-worn bone, its skin either forgotten or discarded, a lipless mouth and two long teeth held by blackened gums, slitted holes for nostrils and eyes, eyes that were nothing more than swirling pits of milky white, the white of death the white of sickness, the white of clean-picked corpses. And open your eyes again, please. So tell us, Katie, how was that for you? How did you feel? What character's perspectives did you see that from? I think I was the surreal. Interesting.
0: And it forced me to not just think about what the surreal looks like, which from Feyre's perspective is very frightening. You know, it kind of looks like a skeleton to her, I think. Although skin forgotten or discarded is like a horrific sentence. Like oh, I took my skin off and I just left it. I forgot. I got to put it back on this morning. But uh, yeah, it actually forced me to to think about what what it would feel like to be in that body. Their hands are very like spindly and, and bony, and and the feeling of being trapped because the surreal you know, wanders the world. I don't know eating chickens. I I don't know what it, I don't know what this, I don't know what the cereal does in its spare time, but it likes a chicken. Yeah, but like the feeling of being trapped and how I'm not sure if they're frightened, but certainly they're they're shocked. Like they don't didn't expect to be to be captured, and then if it's a human. You're like ah, definitely not what I expected to happen today. And yeah, like what it looks like to see the world through those through those milky eyes. Like are they? Uh, that's classically sort of a stereotypical way of, of saying that someone is blind so is the surreal blind and then that helps them to see other things more clearly like to see they're blind so they can see truth and lies more clearly yeah so like it really mm. put me
1: in inside their body interesting what about you so it made me think was the surreal once human mm because it's obviously compared to someone who's dead. Mm. So would it it used to be a human that was cursed and became something that wanders the earth? Because we learn in this chapter that it's older than, what's it say? Older than the kingdom itself or something?
0: I'm older than the High
1: Lords, older than Prithian, older than the bones of this world. So is he really like an old human that that is just what he's become, a decaying corpse that is somehow animated with a snazzy veil? Of course. But I don't think humans existed when
0: the world began, so I think I think they're, yeah, I don't know, some sort of spirit, some sort of creature from like the dawn of time, and just wanders wanders
1: the world, spitting truths and eating chickens, and doing a crossword every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made me think: Do the surreal exist as a multiple, or is there only one? Do we ever find that
0: out? Feyre asks. Are you one of the surreal? And they say, indeed I am. So that implies that there are there are more than one. But when she traps them again later, it's the same one. So maybe because the the thing about the surreal is that they love to wander the world. They you know, it's why their cloak is so ragged, is because they just whip like through the world very quickly and like the wind tears tears at their cloak. So I wonder if there's one in Prithian, you know, one basically for each sort of country. travel the world so widely
1: but yeah we don't get a lot of answers about about the surreal and and what they're like really it definitely made me think of it from Feyre's perspective it's interesting that you were the surreal because in my mind I was just thinking about Feyre Mm. and that point where you get so scared and you have that fight or flight response her response is flight but I feel like Feyre's response is normally fight so the surreal must be pretty scary Mm. but she stays very calm
0: she just goes she just answer, you know, asks it questions and stays stays pretty chill and keeps,
1: keeps her bow and arrow ready. It is that time of the week where we bless some people. Who do you want to bless this week? Your turn first. I have a bit of a soft spot
0: for the Surreal. So I'm going to bless the Surreal because they're our first non-binary character, which I just kind of like. And I would like to bless them for the moment where they're trying to give Fairy the information that she needs and instead they just start witchering and going off on one and being like, and so and then the courts did like this and then there's highburn and then this happened with the history and did <laughs> and instead of giving Vera a concise answer to the question that she needs, they just they just go off on one. So yeah, so I would like to bless people who cannot stick to a story i just stayed with my friend carrie who i love very dearly but she is the queen of tangents and she absolutely cannot finish a story that she starts so i see a I see a parallel with her in the serial of just like and this happened and then the hymen and the dish <laughs> 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 so yeah so i want to bless people who cannot finish a story because they're very entertaining to be around amazing i love it who would you like to bless
1: so this week i would like to bless pharah because she searches for answers Mm. she's given no other choice and the fact that she has to trap this very terrifying thing when she is a human is very very brave of her and it's clearly not an easy thing to do and probably not an easy thing to hear Mm. hearing the truth that she's cannot go home or it will endanger her family Mm. must be very difficult so i dedicate this blessing to anybody that has to listen to hard truths and go and find answers because sometimes you don't hear what you actually want to want to know and that can be very difficult yeah thank you for listening to a court of thoughts and proses please subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed this episode this episode was produced by both of us and edited by me you can find us on twitter tiktok facebook and instagram at Acotapodcast, podcast spelled a-c-o-t-a-p thank you to the harry potter and sacred text podcast who let us borrow their ideas
0: Bye, everyone. Oh, I had a question about the other bit of information that the that girl gives her. Could you
1: hear that? Ooh, what was that? Kit Kat yeah.
0: knocking off my clock off the bedside table. Oh my god, Kit
1: Kat! <sighs> Commanding. <laughs>